All the way to the back. See, there we go. Let's give those sound guys a round of applause. They've got dozens of different microphones and switches. One time in a meeting with our staff, I was like, I mean, how hard is it to run sound? You just press a button, turn it on, and you go. And they were like, you need to come look at the sound booth. And it is 10 million knobs and levers and eject buttons. And uh, fi- there's even a button that says fire. Like if the speaker's going long, you just hit the button and things happen. So I so am blessed by what those guys do up there. Very excited to have the opportunity to teach you about the art of letting go. Uh, to intro this sermon, I'm going to use a story that's kind of graphic. And I thought I would at least just warn you, I got probably a PG-10 story that I'm going to share to help illustrate the art of letting go. Um, I, a couple of things I want to remind you of. Our church has an app that allows you to follow along. I'm going to be skipping around in the text, and the app will help you find all of those scriptures in the same place. And there's a few fill-in-the-blank uh, uh, lines that we put there to help you kind of remember and interact with the lesson that I'm going to be teaching. At the end of this lesson, I, I wrote a prayer. Uh, and I'll be explaining that a little bit more as we move along. I wrote a prayer at the end of this lesson that I really believe God laid on my heart that will help you uh, be free of bitterness and pain and a spirit of offense. And I, I hope that you'll use that. It's on the app. Um, and so if you'll pull that up, you can follow along. And I'm going to wrap today with that prayer that I believe God will powerfully use to free your heart from the trap of having a spirit of being offended, which is all about bitterness and resentment. Um, In in life, we're going to go through tragedy and trial uh, and tribulation. My kids and I were eating uh, lunch yesterday, and one of my children said to another child, hey, where's the fruit roll-up that came with your lunch? And immediately the child that got asked that question said, what did you all do with it? Because the presupposition is somebody's always doing something in your life to get the upper hand or to manipulate you in some way or to try to deceive you. We live in a a sin-cursed, toxic world, and pain and tragedy is a part of our life. Uh, in, In Acts chapter 14, verse 22, the Apostle Paul had been stoned, drug outside of a city, and left for dead. His Uh, companions circle around him and they pray for him. He gets up and goes back into the city. A couple of days later, he's teaching in a different city. And I imagine Paul in Acts chapter 14 has got black eyes, probably still blood caked in his hair from where he was stoned. And he spends his time strengthening the disciples. And he teaches them something that we've been focused on for the last three weeks. He says... You and I, we must go through many hardships to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So you want to know the key that unlocks your entrance into the kingdom of heaven? It's going through many hardships. And some of you have lived through hardship after hardship after hardship. And if you're not careful, those hardships can cause pain that leads to bitterness and resentment and ultimately causes you to walk around with this spirit of having been offended. And that is the exact opposite spirit of the spirit of the living God. The same spirit that resurrected from Jesus Christ from the dead does not compel us to walk around with an attitude that we've been offended. 
I'm going to talk to you about how to free yourself from that. Before I do that, I want to share you a story of a young man named Chris Carrier. Ten-year-old uh, Chris Carrier's life changed forever five days before Christmas Day in 1974. As Chris hopped off the school bus, a stranger approached him claiming to be a friend of Carrier's family. The man said he wanted to buy a gift for Carrier's father and needed the boy's help. Carrier went along with the man, climbing aboard a motorhome parked up the street. The journey didn't end at a local store. Instead, the motorhome found its way into a remote area of open fields. The man stopped driving and claimed to be lost. He asked Carrier to look at a map and help him find their way back to town. It was then that Carrier felt sharp pains in his back. He looked back to see a, the stranger glaring at him and holding an ice pick. During the struggle that ensued, the man stabbed young Chris a few more times and then stopped. The stranger got back behind the wheel of the motorhome and began driving down Interstate 75 in Florida. The man kept muttering about Carrier's family and how they had caused him trouble. The man turned down a dirt road and stopped again. Young Chris got out of the motorhome, and moments later, the stranger shot him in the left temple and left him for dead in the alligator-infested Florida Everglades. In life, sometimes people experience unspeakable tragedy. Some things in life that happen to you and I are beyond what the imagination can even comprehend. And it leaves us feeling desperate and alone and isolated. But perhaps the greatest tragedy in traumatic experience is not just the pain that the initial event causes. It's what happens to us as we allow that pain to take root in our lives and re-experience the event over and over and over and over again. Eventually, that pain becomes toxic. And that toxic pain totally poisons our spirit. And when our spirit has become poisoned by toxic pain, we become infected and bitterness And resentment take root in our lives. And we ultimately become controlled by the things that have hurt us the most in life. The only way to be free of that toxic pain that eventually causes bitterness and ultimately resentment that poisons our entire life is to let go of that pain and that bitterness. And you and I, contrary to what some of us feel or what some of us would even think in this moment, you and I have the capacity, if we will yield to the Holy Spirit, to let go of the pain and bitterness we feel as a result of very real, tragic, and traumatic experiences that we've gone through. We can let that go in the name of and by the power of the Spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ. No doubt the best example of that type of radical forgiveness is found in the Gospel of Luke in the 23rd chapter. I want to read you a few verses this morning. Jesus has been beaten. Jesus has been abused. He's been publicly humiliated. And at this moment in the Gospel story is hanging on a cross. A man convicted for sins that he didn't commit. 
There were two criminals, one hanging on each side, who were led out with Jesus also to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And at that moment, Jesus could have allowed the experience of that injustice or the abuse that he endured or the humiliation that he felt felt to take root in his heart could have called the armies of heaven down, which were at his disposal the whole time, and not only vanquished the enemies that were in front of him, crucifying him, but every other evil across the face of the earth. And Jesus looked at his abusers and he spoke to the Father on their behalf. And he said, Father... Forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And after Jesus muttered these words, we get a really good picture of the heart of Jesus' abusers, who then gamble for the clothes that he'd been stripped off, that had been stripped off his body before he was crucified. When I think about this story, I thought I, I think to myself sometimes. Yeah, but God, you know, Jesus was both fully God and fully man. Didn't that give him some kind of a unique advantage to practice this level of radical forgiveness, which is so profound, it's hard to wrap our minds around? And the Bible would say, absolutely not. Jesus being both fully God and fully man did not give him an advantage over the temptation to commit sin. And in this moment, no doubt, the great temptation was to retaliate against those who had harmed him the most. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 speaks that truth to us. The writer of Hebrews says, we don't have a high priest that can't and always be sympathetic and empathize with our weaknesses. And that high priest is the Lord Jesus Christ. But we have one who has in fact been tempted in all ways like you and I are tempted. And yet what was Jesus' response to those temptations? Even the most profound temptation of all, which was the moment he hung on the cross and was literally eye to eye with his perpetrators, with the offenders, with his abusers. The moment he was eye to eye, in that moment when it would have been so easy to seek retribution and vindication, Jesus looks at them eye to eye, I can't imagine that, and yet does not sin. How is that possible? How how could Jesus do something like that? That's kind of what we've been talking about up to this point. Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? If you, were to, if you were to pick out, Jesus, what the most important commandment is, what is it? And in the greatest commandment uh, speech that Jesus gives in Matthew 22, we see the secret to Jesus' resistance to the temptation to sin. Here's what he says in Matthew 22. That th- uh, this is the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. If you want to develop in your spiritual maturity to the point where you can really be set free, listen to this, of any and all pain that you've experienced and be free of any bitterness 
or resentment or free yourself from the spirit of having been offended, the first and most important thing you have to do is practice this verse. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. When you love God more than you love anything else in the world, including your own comfort, you have matured to the point of having the capacity to radically forgive. That's the secret. When God is the axis of your life, any kind of authentic, mature discipleship is possible. Jesus doesn't stop there. He said, the second is just like it. To love your neighbor as yourself. For you and I to develop the maturity to radically forgive, we have to really, genuinely, listen to me, develop a love for our neighbor. And sometimes it is our neighbor, it is our sister, it is our brother, it is our mother, or even our father who is or are the source of our greatest pain. And let me just tell you, this is hard for me to preach because I have sat with some of you and heard the stories of the people who have hurt you most in life. And there is a fleshly part of me that would very much like to be part of that retribution and revenge-seeking process. But if we allow our flesh to pursue that path, all that happens to us, church, is we go deeper into the prison that the enemy wants to hold us in. And I have to be willing to follow God's plan for this church and for your life and preach truth to you. That we have to learn to live out the kind of love that Jesus was capable of. And he doesn't have an advantage there. Hebrews 4.15 makes that clear. Jesus was tempted and always like, like we are. He looked at the eyes of his accusers. He was abandoned by some of the men that were closest to him. And he still would say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Living out the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and truly loving our neighbor as ourself and, and really loving the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind will position us to practice and be capable of radical forgiveness. This isn't the only story of radical forgiveness in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 7, we see a, a man who was a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrate this same level of radical forgiveness. As I was, as I was studying this, I thought, man... All right, Jesus could do it, but yeah, that example is just so profound and it's so powerful. And Jesus was the Son of God and He did the miraculous. And yes, I know the Scriptures teach that He didn't have any advantage, but still, He's Jesus. When Acts chapter 7, we see a regular guy like you and I named Stephen who's preaching the gospel message to a group of religious leaders of his day. And upon hearing this, the religious leaders of Stephen's day begin to attack him and stone him. Let me pick up the text in Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 54. Bible says, When the members of the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of his day, heard his message, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, how did he do what he was doing? Full of the Holy Spirit. He really loved the Lord with all of his heart 
with all of his mind and all of his strength, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. As they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, drug him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Listen to verse 60 here. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. You know, sometimes I wonder in life what my last words will be. And I think it depends on the situation. You know, my my vision is for me to be surrounded by my family and be able to tell people, you know, that I love them. Man, but what if I was in this situation? What if I was staring face to face with the people that had hurt me the worst in life? What would I say? Would I have the capacity, would I have followed the Lordship of Jesus Christ so closely that I could say, Lord, don't lay this sin to their charge. Tragedy and pain and tribulation, church family, is one of the most difficult areas of spiritual maturity that we have to learn mastery in. These men, Jesus And Stephen and even Paul in Acts 14 had developed to the point that radical forgiveness was possible. They learned the truth that we grow most, listen to this, we grow most from experiencing trials for which we have not been trained to handle. It's only in those new areas of struggle that we're shown areas of our life that need to be transformed and healed And surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I want to get back to the story I started with this morning. A young man named Chris Carrier. For six days he lay unconscious in the Florida Everglades. Amazingly, Chris woke up. He stumbled to a roadside nearby. Sat down on a rock and waited. Eventually, a man in a pickup truck stopped, and the man figured something must be wrong. We noticed a young boy all by himself with two black eyes and a bloody shirt sitting in the middle of nowhere the day after Christmas. He took Chris first to his home, then to the sheriff's department, and eventually to the hospital. The attack left Chris blind in his left eye, but miraculously... He was otherwise uninjured. Twenty-two years later, in September of 1996, Major Major Charles Scherer of the Coral Gables Police Department had uncovered the mystery of who shot and stabbed Chris Carrier that day 22 years ago. Up to that point, the crime had gone unsolved. Chris identified his his attacker in a lineup. And they eventually let the case run cold. Major Major Scherer got a phone call from a 77-year-old man named David McAllister who had finally confessed 
to the kidnapping and attempted murder. David McAllister had worked for Chris's uncle but had been fired six months before the kidnapping. McAllister was dying in a local nursing home and seemed finally ready for closure. I'm going to read some of Chris's own words as he details the last part of this story. Major Scherer called me with the news asking me if I wanted to visit David McAllister in the nursing home, and I hesitated. Over the years, when I gave my testimony, people would ask what I do if I could talk to the man who tried to kill me. I always said I would jump at the chance, and now that chance was here. I decided to go visit Mr. McAllister, brought along a pastor friend, and finally stood face to face with my attacker. At first, Mr. McAllister denied trying to kill me, but eventually he held my hand and apologized for what he had done. I told him that I had forgiven him, and as I left, I told McAllister to have a good night's rest. I will now, he replied. I began visiting him often, eventually introducing him to my wife and two girls, offering him hope and some semblance of family in the days before his death, which happened less than a month later. I shared the gospel with him, and he put his faith and trust in Christ. He always seemed glad when I came by. I believe that our friendship eased his loneliness and was a great relief to him after 22 years of regrets. He told reporters from CNN that I was the best friend he'd ever had. Radical, life-changing, freeing forgiveness. Ladies and gentlemen, it's possible. And not only is it possible, but it's required if you want to experience freedom in your life. If you look at the scriptures, I believe the Bible gives us five things that are absolutely essential to working through really letting go of the bitterness and resentment that we allow, we choose to allow to accumulate in our lives. I want to share those things with you briefly, and then we're going to dismiss today. The first thing you need to do to really practice letting go of your pain and your bitterness and your hurt is to name the person and the hurt. you got to put a name to the pain. I want to go back to the book of Hebrews. I'm going to reference you a scripture that I think details what happens when we don't put a person's name on the pain that we feel and admit the pain that they have caused us. Hebrews 12 says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one, listen to this language, no one will see the Lord. I have to teach you how to let go of this because if I don't and you don't pursue peace with everyone, your capacity to see the Lord will be in jeopardy. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Grace of God. An unnamed pain and hurt and an unnamed person causes what's just about to be mentioned. Lest any root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble and by this many 
become defiled. You know what defiles so many men and women of God is that we allow a root of bitterness to take root in our lives. And an unnamed hurt leads to bitterness which causes us trouble. And that's trouble that you and I cause our own selves. Why wouldn't we name our hurts? What would be the reservation there? It's because we don't want to admit that somebody caused us pain. It's easier to pretend like it didn't hurt in our skewed thinking than it is to admit, hey, this person by this particular name caused this particular pain in my life. If you don't pull a weed up by the roots, the roots grow deeper and eventually become stronger. The first part of that pulling up process is to name the person and name the hurt. You've got to admit it. Second thing we have to do, we actually have to verbally say the words, I forgive you. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 25, this is from the message translation. The Bible says this, say that you're out on the street and an old enemy, somebody that's burned you before, somebody that you know you need to stay away from because they're not a healthy influence in your life, an old enemy sees you on the street and you see them and they accost you. Don't lose a minute. Make the first move. And I'm like, yeah, load back on that right hip. Bah! Right hook, right to the nose, right? I'll make that first move. Jesus says, make the first move, make things right with that individual. Don't lose one minute of time. You make the first move and make things right with that individual if they accost you. When God creates the world, He speaks it into existence. He doesn't use His hands. He he speaks it. Uh, In the Old Testament, when the patriarchs are blessing their children, it's a spoken blessing. It's not written. In the, in, the, in the Old Testament, when a covenant is established between two people, it's spoken. When I am doing a, a marital ceremony for a couple, they speak their vows to one another. God's Word teaches us that there is power in the spoken Word. Like our culture takes it too far. It says, you just speak a million bucks into your life. And you'll become a millionaire. Can I just say in the name of Jesus, I've tried that about a million times. And it still hadn't worked. And I'm doing it in faith. All right. So we, we can't we can't create. We can't create things. In our life. We can be creative. And sometimes to get out of the prison of bitterness and resentment, we have to be creative by speaking words of forgiveness over the person that we have named that has hurt us. What I love about the message translation is the sense of urgency behind it. Don't lose or wait one more second. You don't have to be in the prison anymore. So don't stay there. Make the first move and be free. Name the person in the hurt, then say the words. Third thing you got to do, you got to mean the words. You got to mean the words. Uh, In Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, Jesus says, If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. You might be able to fool yourself, and you might be able to fool somebody else, 
But the God of heaven and earth who knows the thoughts and intents of each of our hearts, you're not going to fool. And God is going to know whether or not you have authentically and radically forgiven the individuals that have hurt you or whether or not that's just lip service. You have to say the words about the person you've named who hurt you and you've got to mean those words. We live in it. We, we live in a culture. I keep referencing that, but we can't escape the, the, the area we live in or the time where we say a lot of what we don't mean. Hey, hey, Trent, best sermon I've ever heard. Now, that is the one thing y'all say that probably is always honest, right? <laughs> or, babe, that dinner just was perfect tonight. Okay, that's probably not true all the time, right? Uh, there, there are those things we do, and some of that is because we love people or the set situation is wrong to really be direct. Some of it's, uh, there are lots of reasons why we do that. But this is an area of life where when we say something, we have to mean it. You have to decide you're going to mean the words, I forgive you, when you say those words about a person that has hurt you. Um, the next thing you got to do is really surrender your hurt to the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to really practice surrendering your hurt to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you Romans chapter 12, verses 17. going to skip to 19. Repay no one for evil. This, this, this section of Scripture gives me comfort. I, I, I work with a lot of you during the week, and, and, I, and I see the hurt and pain that you uh, go through. And as a protector uh, of my own family, and, and, and as God gives me the opportunity to be kind of your protector and minister, man, I, so, so often, I really do, church, I struggle with wanting to repay the people who have caused you pain with the same level or greater level of pain than they caused you. Uh, but, but Romans 12 says, don't repay anyone for evil. Have regard for good in the si- good things in the sight of all men. A couple of verses later. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. This helps me sleep with my head on my pillow every night. What I want you to do in terms of surrendering your hurt to Jesus is I want you to think about giving Jesus the peace of your heart that the pain a person has caused in your life has, has led to being hardened. So when I'm praying a prayer of forgiveness over someone who has hurt me, I try to picture in my mind taking that piece of my heart out that's been hardened by their pain and putting it in Jesus' hands and Him exchanging that piece of a hardened heart for a piece of softened, healed, Christ-like heart. This process is possible because you and I can trust the character of God. God is a just and righteous judge who will repay as he sees fit. His vision of the situations that have caused us pain are always more appropriate than ours. Here's another truth. When you surrender your hurt over to God, 
that is not about admitting or saying it didn't really hurt or that you're pretending it didn't happen or that nothing needs to be done as a result of the pain someone caused you. All we're doing is putting that hurt into the hands of a God who's much more capable about, of righting wrongs than you or I ever could be. Surrender also isn't about putting ourselves in a dangerous situation. While Chris Carrier was led by the Lord to reconnect with the person who abused him, not, not all of us will share that same narrative. We don't have to necessarily put ourselves in a position to be around a person who isn't healthy for us to be around, but we do need to place that person and that pain in the hands of a just and omnipotent God who is more capable of, of handling everything in our life better than we are. The last thing you got to do, and this is really difficult, and this is consistently the hardest thing for me to do if I'm being honest, we got to pray for the people who have hurt us. If we're really going to live out the radical forgiveness demonstrated by the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to pray for our offender. Let me give you a verse of Scripture. This is also from Matthew. Jesus says, I say to you, real tough preaching right here. Love your enemies and bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. We have to name the person and the hurt. We have got to speak words of forgiveness over them and mean those words. And when we do that, we are picturing handing that piece of our injured heart over to God and Jesus giving us a piece of a healed heart to replace that injured part of our hearts within us. And after that moment has happened, we pray a prayer of blessing over the people that have hurt us. That's exactly what Jesus does in Luke 23. It's exactly what Stephen does in Acts chapter 7. And it's what happened between Chris Carrier and David McAllister in their story. It's possible. If Jesus from the cross can say, Father, forgive them for we know not what they for they know not what they do. If Stephen can say, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge, and Chris can share the gospel and even build a friendship with a man who kidnapped and attempted to kill him, we can learn to let go of our hurt and forgive as Christ forgave us. At the end of your fill-in sheet, I've got a prayer. I want to invite you to do this. We don't do this kind of stuff very often in our fellowship. It might make you a little uncomfortable, but I promise it's biblical and it's appropriate. I want to, I want to lead you in a prayer. This morning. So on everybody's heads bowed and everybody's eyes closed. If you happen to be listening online, I invite you to do this too, unless you're driving. And keep your eyes open and your hands on the wheel. The prayer I'm going to lead you through is a prayer I want you to pray every single time you think of someone that has hurt you. Or every single time someone does hurt you, like from your present, I want you to pray this prayer. I want you to go to this sheet I want you to pull up this prayer and I want you to pray it. God does powerful things through prayer. And if you will pray this prayer consistently, every time this person's name comes up or somebody hurts you, God will consistently free you from the spirit of offense, from all your bitterness and resentment. So you're not going to pray out loud. I just want you to pray in your mind. 
And then after you pray, we're going to sing a verse to conclude our services. And you may need to come forward and just acknowledge to the church, I let somebody, I let go of some hurt and unforgiveness that was in my life. I'm not going to pressure you to name the hurt publicly as long as you do it before you and God. I think it could be powerful if God's doing a work in your heart right now to come forward and share that with your church family. Every, every head bowed, every eye closed. Here, here's the prayer. and I, You're just going to repeat it quietly and silently in your mind as I'm praying. God, I admit and acknowledge that, and you're going to put the person's name right here, that this person hurt me deeply by, then you're going to name the hurt. In your presence, Lord, I completely and totally forgive that person for the hurt that they've caused. God, I am surrendering this situation to you. I praise you for being a perfect and just judge. I ask you to take the responsibility of this situation from me as I am surrendering it to you. I trust that you will sovereignly act in this situation in accordance with your will. I know that means the right outcome will happen, and I can rejoice in that. Each time the enemy brings this situation to my mind, I will surrender it all over again. Father, I need your strength. I want to take the time now and pray for the person's name. God, I ask that you minister to their needs, heal their brokenness, and bless their life. I thank you, Lord, for completely freeing me from this situation. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me pray over you. Lord, I know that you are working on the hearts of men and women in our church And I just pray that people are set free this morning from the trap of offense, of bitterness and resentment. And I ask that as we conclude our services today, if there is a person or two here this morning that you have set free and they need to make that public so that you can be glorified or someone who is struggling with praying that prayer and meaning it, God, that you would empower them to come forward this morning and and, and allow us to pray over them or someone with any kind of need In the audience, God, in Jesus' name, I ask that you bring them forward today. Amen. Please stand with me while together we sing.